From the Property Investor Studios, welcome to the Naked Property Investor with your host, Kizzy Nakwacha. Kizzy is the publisher of the Property Investor magazine, Money and Finance, and Business Game Changer. Kizzy is also the editor of the successful property investment book series and the founder of the Property Wall of Fame. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the vital tools you need to take your property business to the next level. Now, meet your host, your mentor, and the godfather of all things property, Kizzy Nakwacha. Hello and welcome to the Naked Property Investor. Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, Real estate can't be lost or stolen, nor can it be carried away. Purchased with common sense, paid for in full, and managed with reasonable care, it's about the safest investment in the world. One man who sums up everything that Roosevelt had in mind when talking about real estate is Evan Maindonald, CEO of Melt Property. Evan has over 25 years of experience in property development and in investment. In the last 17 years, his company has built over 100 properties, including mixed-use developments, commercial buildings, and apart hotels in London, Gloucestershire, and Kent, with total end values of over £60 million. In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to Evan to find out how he became a successful property investor and how you can do it too. Don't go away. I'm Sim Sekon, MD of Legal for Landlords, and you're listening to The Naked Property Investor. Hi, Gizzy. I'm Max Phelps, a money coach with Golden Eggs, and I'm also a professional property investor, collecting rent from 14 tenants and could have retired at 46. Uh, also the author of the Amazon bestseller, Getting Your Money Shit Together. Now, my biggest tip for any business owner looking to invest is to look at their ownership structure and get some accounting advice on whether the property should be held in a new family trust, an existing family trust, a company, or their own name. There'll be a balancing act between costs, tax rates, land tax, and asset protection that will vary from business to business. As a general rule of thumb, if there's any risk of litigation from our businesses, then we don't want the property in our own names. New South Wales has no land tax allowance for companies, but I have set up three different family trusts for my Queensland properties because each company trustee has a separate land tax allowance. For more investment tips, mortgage advice, or money coaching, search for Max Phelps, that's P-H-E-L-P-S, on Amazon for my book, or visit goldeneggs.info. Thanks. Hello and welcome to another Bear All episode of the Naked Property Investor. I'm in the studio talking to Evan Maindonald, CEO of Melt Property, a property development and investment company that builds individually designed contemporary properties which are designed around the way people live their lives. Evan, it's great to have you join me. It's great to be here, Kizzy. Nice to meet you. Before we get into this conversation, which I've been looking forward to all month, I've got to ask you, I know you like spending a lot of time with Patricia, your wife, but you also have uh, two dogs, uh, Brian and Arthur. Now, they're described to me by a friend as two energetic Hungarian wire-head vistlers. Now, yes. Evan, what is a Hungarian wire-haired Vistlers? It sounds like something out of Star Wars. <laughs> well, they're, they're very handsome dogs. Um, they're pointers, um, so very closely related to a Weimaraner or a German short-haired pointer. Very energetic dogs. Um, when They're wire-haired, which means they've got a, a, a little beard and a moustache and, and a more fuzzy coat than a normal Vizsla. A Vizsla is a Hungarian dog. 
um, and the Vizsla was bred for use by the Hungarian royal family as a hunting dog. Um, so they're really for, for they're, they're great hunting dogs, great for um, game retrieval. Um, we don't we don't shoot, but they're just pets for us. But they're really lovely, um, very warm natured dogs with with very um, very intelligent. Um, and very unique personalities. So yeah, no, we 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 do love Brian and Arthur. They are uh, they are our children. Is it true that um, the, these children of yours can stay on scent even when swimming? Yeah, no, they can absolutely. Um, so a, a hung- the wire-haired version of the Hungarian Vizsla was bred for water retrieval. So the the um the, they've got a thicker coat. They love getting in the water. So they'll swim in the sea in January. It's very cold. Doesn't really bother them. Um, and yeah, they'll stay on scent and they'll they'll retrieve even when they're swimming. I see another show in the pipeline here. We could do property investment and your pets. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, that sounds good. Look, Brian has about thirty six thousand followers on Instagram, so he's a he's a star in and of his own right. So Brian is the older one. Arthur's a younger one. Wait, are you saying that Brian has more followers on Instagram than I have, and more than me? Yeah, <laughs> he's a star. Blimey. Okay, what's the world coming to? Let's talk property. Let's talk about something I know a little bit about. Let's talk property. Um, first of all, let's get the obvious questions out of the way. How did you get started as a property developer? So uh, I started my property development company in 2002. Um, and I did so after having spent about 15 years in the IT industry. So I grew up in New Zealand. I did a degree in computer science. I went to work in the IT industry in New Zealand. I then moved to the UK and I worked in the telecoms industry. I worked for BT for uh, a long period of time. Um, BT put me through an MBA program at a Swiss business school called IMD. And um, one of the things that I realized at when I went through that MBA program was that um, I was much better suited to being in an entrepreneurial environment than being in a, a, a very structured corporate environment. And so I came out of that MBA program looking for a role where I could be entrepreneurial and, and exercise the things that I'd learned in the MBA program within BT. I couldn't find a role that suited me. And so I jumped out of BT and I went to work for a technology startup. Um, I did that for a year. I got out of that technology startup with a little bit, little bit of money and I found myself at a, at a crossroads where I had to make a decision about what happened next. And I decided that if I didn't start my own company at that point, then I was probably never going to do it. So I decided that I would start a property development company. I was someone inspired by a friend of mine um, in New Zealand who had who'd done a similar thing, had started his own property development company. I'd invested some money in some of his projects. And so um, I kicked off my first project in Gloucestershire in, in 2002, and I, and, I, and I haven't looked back since. What were the initial challenges you faced back in 2002 when starting Melt Homes or Melt Property? I think the, the difficulty in starting a property development company is that it takes a long time for your first projects to get off the ground. Property is um, something that once you get going, it gathers a lot of momentum. It's it's hard to start it and it's hard to stop it. It's very much a long-term game. And so I think just gathering that initial momentum, finding my first site and um, working out how to structure the finance on it, working out what was needed to actually get it developed and finished, um, I pretty much, I mean, I've done a bit of property investment, but property development is is, is not, the same thing. I suppose I've been investing in property for a good seven years before I started Mount Homes. And, um, but there was a really steep learning curve um, 
in terms of how to do development. And it's fair to say that I made a lot of mistakes. In those days, um, you didn't have the same resources as you do on the internet that you can use to learn about how to do property development. I mean, the um, social media was not at the sort of scale that it's at now. And so um, you really pretty much had to learn by just talking to people and asking people. So I think knowledge was a lot more thin on the ground. And um, so it took a lot of it took a lot more work to work out how to get things done, actually. But once you did um, ask those questions, did you find that you were working with mentors or people that you could turn to for advice and, and information? Um, a little. Uh, I think one of the things that I would have liked if I could have found someone who I could have worked with as a mentor is is exactly that. I think I, I would have liked some. I, w- I look for somebody actively that that could help me learn how to do property development, and I couldn't really find anyone who was exactly the right person. So I, I did end up teaming teaming up with a local builder. So my first project was the conversion of a, a large house with a shop in front of it I, into two houses and two shops there was a plot of land at the back that i got um planning consent for to build a, a new house on and then i just sold the lot off um the next project i did after that was um a new build of 11 houses on a on a, a greenfield site in gloucestershire and that was a big jump actually from that first project to the second one and i realized that actually um it was going to be a significant step up in terms of the level of understanding and, and expertise required. And so I teamed up with a local builder um, who understood the construction side of things. What I learned very quickly is that um, construction is not the same as development. And there were a number of things which he didn't understand that I had to learn how to do. And so there was a very steep learning curve on that development. We got a few things wrong, but I think it's one of the one of that development. I think more than anything else has sort of stood as the foundation of of um, what I've learned and what's made me become uh, uh, or, or what's helped me develop the expertise that I have today or that we have today in in property development. Um, I, th- I think there's nothing like learning by experience. Um, it teaches you in a way that you know so that that a, a classroom experience simply can't. Describe to me the philosophy underpinning your approach to property development what makes you different i think this is something that certainly shifted since i started the company when we when i started melt homes we were very very much focused on just buying sites and developing them out what we now focus on is something we call design-led development and that really is about maximizing the value of the sites that we develop and a lot of that is around the planning process so what we do is we look specifically for sites which have the potential for enhancement via the planning process. And what we're able to do is add a significant amount of value through the design process by working out what the most efficient use of the space on that site is or the space within a building is. Um, So that's efficiency in terms of the amount of square footage that we can get on there, but it's also efficiency in terms of the type of use. And so we use that design-led process um, combined with... um, analysis at the back end um, to, to analyze the various scenarios that we look at and we work out how we can extract the maximum amount of value from a site and we, we spend a lot of time doing that before we actually get on site. I think when I, when I first started doing development my, 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 my instinct was as soon as you buy something you need to get on site immediately and start building it out. Actually the thing that I've learned that I learned quite quickly is that it's that's not necessarily the best way to extract the maximum amount of value out of a site. You need to be patient. 
you need to work your way through the planning process and maximize the value of the site through that planning process. And, and then that also gives you time to ramp up and get ready to actually develop a site out. It's interesting that you talk about maximizing the value from a site because you've switched your focus from residential uh, to commercial-led projects and your current project pipeline is, I believe, in excess of £250 million and is expected to reach over £400 million by the end of this year, 2020. Mm. What prompted that decision to switch from residential to commercial? We saw a very specific opportunity in a particular part of um, commercial real estate and that's around apart hotels. So apart hotels are a very fast-growing sector of the UK hotel market. Um, they are slightly longer stay than um, traditional hotels. So they're essentially a, a little bit like um, service, service accommodation or, or Airbnb type service accommodation at scale. Um, so there are hotel rooms which are slightly larger, generally with, with a kitchen built in. The hotel itself will will commonly have some sort of communal, communal um, facility available to the guests, usually not a restaurant, um, but um, more like a co-working type space. And people tend to stay for, on average, three to five nights, potentially longer. It's a sector which in the UK has very low penetration compared to the US um, and Asia. Um, slightly higher penetration in Europe, but still a lot lower than, than in the US and Asia. And so it's growing very quickly. And so we have seen a lot of opportunity for, um, or demand for sites from apart hotel operators. Um, and so it's a, it's a sector that we've focused on really in order to take advantage of the growth in that sector and the, the growth that will continue is likely to continue over the next um, five to seven years. I understand you've also developed fairly unique methods to uh, to structure development projects in a way that minimises risk and also maximises return on capital. Now, without giving too much away, can you give us a broad overview of these methods? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I don't mind giving information away because I think at the end of the day, there's a, the devil is in the detail in these things and... Um, a lot of what we do is around the experience that we've developed uh, in in the last 18 years of doing property development. But at a high level, um, we approach this from two ends. I talked about design-led development earlier on and how we use that to enhance the value of the projects that we develop. And so a good example of that is what we did with our site and our current site in Gloucester. So that's a 19-unit development. When we bought that site, it had um, an outline consent which envisaged around 12,500 square feet of development. When we finished with um, the planning process on that site, we ended up with around 25,000 square feet of development consented. And so in essence, what we did is we doubled the value of the site and we doubled the gross development value simply through the, the planning process. What you do when you do that, you build more margin into your sites. And so you build more margin and margin for error, which is which actually reduces risk, if that makes sense. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that we're very careful about doing our due diligence on sites. And so with that site, we agreed, when we agreed to buy it, between um, the offer being accepted and exchange, we did uh, a geotechnical assessment. In other words, uh, we assessed the ground conditions to make sure that there was nothing in the ground that was going to be excessively expensive. 
And we also did an archaeological assessment because there was a planning condition on the site which related to the potential for archaeology under the site. Now, if we hadn't gone ahead and purchased the site, we would have spent money on those things and, and simply thrown it away. So we, we probably spent £20,000 on reports and surveys before we got to exchange. But my view on these things is that I'd rather spend that money before we buy a site than end up being committed to something and, and end up um, you know, with, with a loss on a project. So we do a lot of work and we spend money up front to minimize risk. So our focus is on risk minimization, but one way of minimizing risk is actually to enhance the value of sites and build more margin into, into them. And that's essentially um, at a very high level um, the, how the process that we use works. And also the idea that um, you can minimize risk at the very, very early stages by uh, employing due diligence and also during the planning process. And that's fairly unique, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think it is. And I, I guess we have seen most things that you will come across on development sites. Although I always say, on, I always learn something on every project. Um, I, there's not a project that I've done that I haven't learned something new. They're all different. But you do see the same things across all um, developments and you de- do see common factors. And so um, what you what experience teaches you is other things to look out for. Um, and so we are very careful about what we get into. We take our time and until we're completely comfortable, we don't commit. How do you relate to uncertainty? Because a lot of what you're doing seems to be to eliminate as much uncertainty as possible um, during a project. How do you relate to uncertainty during your working life? I think an entrepreneur's job is to somehow create order from chaos. Um, The strange thing about property development is um, you are presented with opportunities or things that people say are opportunities constantly. And a lot of the job is to work out what is a real opportunity and what isn't. It's sorting the wheat from the chaff. Um, And sometimes it's, it's also about how to take something that somebody presents you with and see the opportunity in it. And so I think the, um, the real, um, key for entrepreneur um, in, in any business or in any sector is um, is to, to work out how you can take what's going on around you and extract opportunity from it. I like that. Good idea. Um, sometimes when life gives you lemons, you really learn how to, you have to learn how to make lemonade, don't you? It is true that every cloud has a silver lining. You just have to see where the silver lining is. And so you you come back in a way to mindset here. It's very easy to uh, see something or an event that might happen as being negative. You just have to see where the opportunity is in, in what's happening. And um, I think one of the things that, or the reasons that I've been able to grow the company in the way that I have is I've been very persistent and I've always looked for different ways to do things and different ways to find opportunity as the circumstances around us change. You need to adapt. Well, talking about adapting and finding the the silver lining in the black cloud, how do you see the general landscape for property investors in the UK, bearing in mind everything that's going on around us at the moment? Well, there's no doubt that what we'll be doing for a while is sitting and waiting because Mm. there are no transactions going on at the moment. Um, How's that going to play out? Um, well, it's certainly going to reduce the amount of development that's going on. It's certainly going to reduce the degree to which people are actually investing in new projects. And so it will create a temporary drop in building activity. Um, That is likely to result when this thing is over in some pent-up demand um, being created in the market. There is talk of property prices dropping by 10% this year. Um, But I I think... um, 
it's difficult for anyone to predict with accuracy exactly what's going to happen. There's certainly no shortage of liquidity in the market. And what the government has done in terms of injecting money into the economy is going to help in terms of liquidity. This is not a liquidity crisis like the one that we had uh, during the global financial crisis. Um, I think what's likely is that when transactions start to reoccur again, we'll see the market bounce back very strongly in terms of transaction volumes. And the only question really is when that will happen. Um, it, it will happen once the coronavirus has worked its way through the population and or we find a vaccine or cure. But um, the timing on that is, um, is uncertain at this point. I guess the earliest we could think about that happening might be um, June, July, um, but it could well um, go on until later in the year. Well, fingers crossed. Let's hope that we are looking at a June, July when we find that uh, silver lining in what looks like huge black clouds at the moment. Yeah, I think, but I think, I think the positive here is that these liquidity measures that the government have announced um, put people in a position where they should be able to work their way through it. Um, I think we are going to be very internally focused in the next month or so on just making sure that we're in a strong position from a cash flow perspective and that will also potentially put us in a position to take advantage of any opportunities that may arise during the next three months. Very wise words indeed. Um, we've got just about enough time to go to the section of the show we call the 30-second masterclass. Now, it sounds quite ominous, but what this means is that you'll have 30 seconds to sum up the most important lessons our listeners should take away from this conversation. Are you game? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you sound nervous, but I've, I've got a feeling you're going to be great. Yes, okay, well, I need, I need to think of something, but yeah, okay, sure. Okay, well, think quickly, because the 30-second masterclass starts now, and the clock is ticking. Okay, so um, what I would say to anyone who's thinking about starting development is uh, take your time. And don't jump into anything until you're completely comfortable with it. Um, property is a long-term game. And once you're in a project, you're going to be in it for a long time, a minimum of six months. If it's a project of any decent size, it's probably two years. So even if you, you, you need to make sure that whatever you do is going to make money. Um, you don't want to be stuck in a project that you end up losing money on for two years. It's a waste of two years of your life. You don't even want to be stuck in a project that you break even on for two years. That's a complete waste of your life as well. So take your time. Don't jump into anything that you're not comfortable with. I think the second thing I'd say to people is there's a lot of um, learning and expertise that you can gather just by looking at the internet these days, um, groups on Facebooks, on Facebook, on Instagram, LinkedIn, etc., um, there's a lot of content out there. I put out a lot of content on how to do property development. And so make sure that you gather as much learning and knowledge as you can. And I would say thirdly, it isn't too difficult these days to find someone to work with um, if you want to learn how to do property development. And, and I would say that you need to, in order to minimize risk, and I think property development is all about risk minimization, controlling risk. It's not about taking risk. It's actually about identifying where risk is and minimizing it. And so in order, if you work with somebody who's already been through 
a number of projects and has developed some expertise and experience, then that's a great way to minimise risk in doing your first property development projects. An excellent summary. Um, Evan, I've got hundreds of questions um, I've still got to ask you, but I know that we've um, run out of time, which I suspected we would do. Um, In the meantime, I've got to say, it's been an amazing experience sharing this time with you. And thank you so much for sharing your insight and wisdom on The Naked Property Investor. It's a real pleasure, Kizzy. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you.